That was Never Going Back by Bryce Sanity, and you're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, where we're just about to get ready for another episode of What the Art. I'm going to hand you right over. I know you've been keen for it, and I'll hand you over right now. Howdy, and welcome to another episode of What the Art, where we talk about all things art and culture in New England and beyond. I am your host and director of New England Regional Art Museum, Rachel Parsons. So let's get on with the episode. Now, as per my little introduction, we are all about arts, but today we're going to go a little bit outside of our usual focus to the weird and wonderful world of science with my first guest, Dr. Marissa Betts, um, who is a postdoctoral research fellow in the School of Environmental and Rural Science at UNE and also a superstar of STEM. Welcome, Marissa. Hi, thanks for having me. So my first question, what does it mean to be a superstar of STEM? <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, Superstars of STEM is a program uh, run by Science Technology Australia um, that's designed to equip women working in STEM with like advanced media skills mm -hmm. um, and to increase their visibility as STEM experts. Um, so this basically translates to uh, you know, like on the news and people are looking for um, a science expert to talk about a particular topic, that um, that there'll be more uh, possibilities of women being chosen to do those sorts of roles mm -hmm. and therefore changing sort of society's perception of, of what a scientist is. So, you know, when kids grow up and they watch television, they see uh, women in science as STEM experts, then that becomes normal for them. Yeah, yeah, so it's not just, um, you know, Big Bang Theory, all the no. dude physicists getting <laughs> together. Um, there's lots of different people that could be involved. That's in right. That yeah, it's about diversity. And I guess the, the thing I liked about Superstars of STEM was that it was, um, it's quite a, it's a subtle idea, but it's very powerful. And mm. I felt like it was something that was able to make genuine, real change. So I'll be happy. I was really happy to be a part of it. Fantastic. So the program focuses on women working in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics to address the historic and continuing underrepresentation of women in those fields, especially in leadership roles. Mm. So what are some of the main challenges that women face in science? Um, well. You know, I guess I can only re I talk from my own experience, mm -hmm. and that is that um, it, at the lower levels, um, you know, I, I also do some volunteering or some mentoring for Curious Minds Australia, which mentors high school girls who are interested in STEM. And there are lots of girls at that age who are really interested in science topics. Um, and as you go through, there's uh, in, in my university degree, there was like maybe almost 50-50 girls and boys. Um, but as you climb through the ranks, the numbers drop off. And I guess as women get to those sort of ages um, where it almost becomes like you have to make a choice in your life, whether you have children or have a career. And you're, you're told so many times that you're, you're meant to be able to have everything. But actually, the way the system works, it's not actually the case for a lot of people. Sure. So it's just harder for um, people to stay in the game. And so those leadership roles that people end up in at later stages in their career are obviously populated less and less by women. So obviously this is a really then important program to try and, as you say, increase that visibility and show women uh, not only that there are women working in science, that they're doing fantastic research and communicating that, um, but that also, uh, you know, girls who are interested in yeah. science, that this is a pathway that's yeah, available 100%. for them. Yes. And I just I wanted to be visible to show other people that 
um, it's possible to do this sort of thing as a career. And I feel like it's a, you know, it's a slow burn. We've got to play the long game. But the more women that you can get to stay in the game means that we get to change that um, change it from the inside, yeah, I suppose. Absolutely. For the next generation. And so part of this is also, as you say, media. Um, yeah. So it's about communicating the fact that you are a science and that you're a scientist and you're working in this space, but I guess also your research, because yeah. I think um, sometimes, you know, for those of us not working in a scientific or academic field, it can be difficult to understand exactly what it is that you yes. do. Yes, yes. Um, and so learning ways to communicate your research differently can be something that's quite important. But I feel like that's also somewhere or something where um, art and science can converge, that yeah. sort of communication of big ideas and, you know, things that are really important to um, us now. I absolutely agree. I mean, I've always thought science is a really creative enterprise. And I think that like science and art are two, just two different ways of trying to understand and communicate about the world around us. Yeah, right? and you actually studied art yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell us about that. Um, well, yeah, I never, I, I'm a scientist now, I'm a paleontologist and I sometimes I just think that is the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> but I, I, at school I didn't really do heaps of science um, and I was a creative kid and I did art my main subjects are like visual art, design, I did technical drawing and photography and I made sure that I had a spare in high school so I could like do all my projects, like <laughs> my art projects and stuff. And then when I finished, um, I finished school, I had to do some art related kind of degree mm. and I ended up getting into the creative industries program um, at QT. Yep, I've been there. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I guess because we've known each other for a little while, but mm. like, uh, I think that you graduated from QT maybe the year that I started. Yeah, I think so. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so I did that for maybe a year and a half. I think I quit in the first first semester of my second year or something like that. But um, yeah, I lo like, I mean, it was great. Like we had a lot of studio time. We got to make our own work and do tutorials and, and things like that. But I was never like, I was never a studious kid and I never really knew how to study. And I suppose- I was a really studious yeah. kid, but I wasn't a great artist. So <laughs> neither of us ended up being artists, yeah. but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so do you see similarities between what you were doing then as an artistic creative practice and what you do now as a oh. scientific practice? Oh yeah, I think like, there are definitely aspects of my work now that like turn me on in the way that like I got turned on as an art art kid, mm. you know, like the, I work on a, um, a group of fossils called the small shelly fossils. I mean, it's a really hilarious name, but it's just a group of lots of different kinds of um, tiny fossils. And they look really beautiful under scanning electron microscopy. Like once you get them under high powered microscopy, it's just like, a completely different world like even if you look at sand at the beach under the microscope like you have no idea how beautiful that stuff is until mm. you get a really really close look at it um, and so yeah the it, it really gets your creative juices going I think and yeah. um, you know I've always known creative people in science like people who will use their 
um, the research area as inspiration for making things and mm. doing art and being creative and, and, and all sorts of stuff. So for those of us who don't know, <laughs> what is actually involved in being a paleontologist? What oh. do you do? <laughs> well, my particular area, I mean, when I went to uni the second time, <laughs> um, I did geology. I got really into rocks <laughs> first. <laughs> Um, and so I came at paleontology from the geology side. And um, so my paleo questions are like, um, they become kind of big picture geo kind of questions, like where were the, the continents a long mm-hmm. time ago? How can the fossils tell us about how we can rearrange that like tectonic puzzle? How can fossils tell us how old rocks are? You know, because we have evolution, right? And so the passage of evolution means we have this um, order of different fossils in the rocks. And so you can use fossils as um, ways to build that time scale. Um, so I think it all, for me, like rocks and fossils are time machines. Like we oh, can use fantastic. them to like travel, time travel all the way back millions, sometimes billions of years and see what the world was like. That's awesome. Um, I'm also really interested in the fact that I think your, um, or I've observed that your scientific pursuits, your <laughs> profession, have um, creeped into your continuing creative practice. So Marissa <laughs> is a member of the Armadale Pottery Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a, yeah, an avid potter. Um, you know, I was thinking, for example, the experiments that you did with creating your own glazes oh, using yes. rocks that you found. Yes, um, I. <laughs> I, I love that idea that you can use some um, like natural materials. I suppose that's why the pottery and ceramics has really spoken to me, you know, as a creative process in that, you know, all of those materials that we're using come from the earth. Like the clay itself, you know, mm. is a, a sedimentary product, right? Um, and so you can use that to make something and then you can throw it in a, a kiln and it goes up to, you know, 1300 degrees or something like that and it changes its composition and becomes something completely different. Um, and glazes as well are really interesting. I mean, it makes me really wish that I had listened harder in my geochemistry classes, <laughs> which I was never very good at. But um, because ge- the chemistry aspect of glaze production is kind of important. Mm. Um, but for me, I've been doing a little bit of like, uh, you know, empirical research where <laughs> I just sort of uh, have a go, melt stuff and see what happens. Um, but a few different rock types around this area. Um, I tried a basalt, um, which I smashed up into tiny little pieces, uh, and also a rhyolite. And they're volcanic rocks um, at the very opposite ends of the geochemical spectrum. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to sort of see what happened to, to them when I put, made them into a glaze. Um, the, the, the basalt turned into a very beautiful, kind of a, a brownie color with blue flecks in it. Um, but it doesn't stick to the pot. It runs off and pools into a big blob. And so it's not a, not a great glaze. Sure. But the rhyolite turns into this, um, in reduction, when you fire it with low oxygen, turned into this gorgeous, like a light celadon kind of blue. And it sticks to the pot beautifully. And I was so happy. <laughs> I like it. You're like a, a mad potter scientist as well. It's fantastic. Well, yeah. And that's what I love about the Armadale Pottery Club is that you get the opportunity to try lots of different things. And everyone's very encouraging of all those different sorts of activities down there. It's really cool. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Marissa. No worries. We could keep chatting forever. We could keep chatting forever, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, uh, because I've been so inspired by your paleontology, we are going to go to a song now, and I thought we could listen to I Am A Rock by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> I love it. A winter's day In a deep and dark December I am alone Gazing from my window To the streets below On a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow So welcome back to What the Art, and I'm here with my second guest today, who is Chris Clark, the newish CEO of the New England Conservatorium of Music. Chris, welcome to the show, and Armadale. Hello, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on today. I know that you just came from a meeting. It's a great pleasure. I got uh, kind of sidelined because uh, daylight saving Anna stopped clock. Oh. I've conveniently got a <laughs> clock sitting behind people's heads when they're talking to me at my desk, uh-huh. and I was just periodically, oh no, I'm doing okay, and then I, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but you made it, which I is fantastic. It. Thank you so much. Um, so Chris, you have a long and diverse career in music. You Indeed. started off as a musician, um, with piccolo being I'm your professionally qualified to count to four or six on a good day. 
Well, that's good. But, you know, what happens if you have to go higher? No, no, I don't. No, I break don't. it into sets of four. Fair enough. That's you've also training. been an educator. Mm. Um, so you've worked, um, been in education places like the Penrith Conservatorium of Music and the National Institute, Youth Performing Arts Australia. Um, and then you've gone on to a range of leadership roles, um, such as being the operations manager of the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden, London, mm-hmm. for the Australian Brandenburg and Melbourne Youth Orchestras. Prior to moving to Armadale, you um, were the... Uh, strategic Relations Manager for Arts Centre Melbourne. Correct. You've read my CV. I did. I did. <laughs> and that is just a little excerpt of, of the CV, but obviously, yeah, a long and diverse career. So what made you think that this role in Armadale was the next thing for you? Gosh, how long do we have? Probably not long enough to tell we you We don't. We're only allowed really. to talk for 10 minutes, but oh. that's okay. <laughs> well, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the pocket version yeah. of it then. Um, so I always wanted to move to a regional area since I started working professionally as a musician, Mm -hmm. I found that when you did concerts in a regional area that the audiences were just so much more grateful and so much more exciting Mm. for making the effort to come out and perform in a regional area, whereas it always felt like doing a concert in Sydney or Melbourne was like dragging an audience kicking and screaming into the concert hall. So it was kind of always in the back of my mind to move regionally anyway. I knew Armadale quite well by coming through a number of times on tour and driving up and down the New England Highway, so was kind of familiar with it. Um, And then I was working in Melbourne last year, as you mentioned, and COVID happened. Yeah. And I did nine months in isolation, living and working in a tiny one-bedroom apartment where the... The outdoor space, in inverted commas, was a concrete balcony facing a solid concrete wall about the size of a desk, you know. So um, nine months of no humans between February and November, I was ready for a tree change. Mm -hmm. Um, And COVID kind of also helped in that we realised that we didn't all have to work in an office anymore. We realised you could work from anywhere. So I kind of accelerated my plan to turn you know, regional a little bit. And look, honestly, it was just great timing that I was looking and that the role at the conservatorium was advertised. Armadale's a super cultural city, as you know, Rachel. Yes. Like, there is everything here. Um, I am also um, a travel addict. It's my drug of choice. There's an airport. When we are allowed to fly again, yes. I will be flying all over the globe and continuing my global domination efforts. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, there was a whole range of reasons, really. Yeah, I mean, sure. just kind of right place, right time, right job. The Conservatorium is amazing. Yeah. You know, it's got a great reputation. That building is spectacular. Like, Gorgeous. who wouldn't want to work there? So um, I could go on and on, but I yeah, won't. Great. I mean, I think it's really interesting what you say the fact that um, people are more appreciative of uh, concerts here. I mean, I've certainly also found that um, at, at Neurem um, in that it feels like the community cares so much about these spaces and so much about um, what happens here and what we do and being involved. And that has also been a huge difference since moving from Brisbane, where, you know, it feels like sometimes you're yelling into a big barrel of everyone else yelling. (laughs) You know, here it's it's um, it's really different. It's really beautiful. It's a really good mix here of it is busy and there is so much going on. Like any week, given weekend in Armadale, there is everything on. Right. Everyone's still programming. So you've still got that busy arts hub kind of vibe. But you're right, you've still got uh, enough of an audience, enough of a venue to actually have meaningful conversations with people rather than, yeah, that kind of analogy of just screaming 
yeah. everyone else screaming at the same time. So it was just um, it was a great, great mix and a great balance. And even the proximity to like Sydney and Brisbane and mm. thinking about potential audience draws and even like um, in the space of presenting concerts and things like that, drawing professional musicians from those areas to perform here in Armidale, all kinds of things. It was just, yeah, it was just so amazing, and uh, couldn't be happier. I'm out on four and a half thousand acres. It's yeah. such a tree change. A little bit bigger than your balcony, your little concrete balcony. A little bit yeah. bigger, yeah. And so <laughs> just absolutely loving life. And, you know, even, um, so it's about a 20-minute drive out of town, mm-hmm. and um, people at the conservatorium were like, oh, my God, how can you live that far from Because work? there's no traffic. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I was um, I was literally in the middle of the Melbourne CBD. It took me an hour each exactly. way. So, like, 20-minute mm-hmm. drive through a beautiful countryside, you know, no traffic no traffic lights yeah. no nothing it's just fantastic absolutely so you've been at Nicom for a couple of months mm, mm. now so I guess you're you know got a little bit of the lay of the land I'm still within my hundred days yeah <laughs> <laughs> what are you really excited about doing here you know what what is it that you really want to you know do in the next little bit yeah. what's your first big project well I mean the first big project has been and continues to be getting to know the town and the people mm-hmm. like there is a lot of different things going on so um that's no doubt being the major focus um of, of the kind of first couple of months is just getting to know everything that's going on and all the potential mm-hmm. so where can we be cl- collaborating and building partnerships and who's who in the zoo really yes. um obviously when you come in as a new um leader you would know a lot of the plans have been already put in place so you're somewhat executing plans of your predecessor but i guess that has given me the ability to think further ahead and what we want to do and what we want to be and what we can be and I mentioned the building before and one of the big things that happened kind of within the first week or so of being here in the job is that for the first time in 16 years the conservatorium's got a lease and tenure to stay in that building. Fantastic. Um, it has always been a little bit just squatters rights. We've yes. been there <laughs> kind of sneakily and not telling everybody just in case we got moved on. <laughs> um, but now we have a lease and we're secure and we're staying and we're actually relocating from the top floor of the building down to the bottom floor of the mm. Armadale Teachers College which has so much potential because they're beautiful spaces. We've got a lot of room to play with. So kind of part of my dream for that building is actually completely renovating the ground floor back to the heritage style Mm. of the building, kind of getting out of the way and quite literally opening the doors to invite the community in because obviously everyone passes it all the time here in town and they know it from the exterior. But right now, if you're not a student or a teacher at the conservatorium, there's no real reason for you to step across the threshold. Yeah. So we're all about creating reasons for the community to come in and engage with us. Um, you know, I have asked you before, Rachel, if we could have the Hinton collection back to put in the hallways. I know yeah, it's a bit of a negotiation yeah, yeah. point. But, <laughs> you know, like, what can we do that makes that building amazing and, and a reason to come? And, you know, even from the gardens, you know, the gardens mm. outside that building were an amazing feature of Armadale in their own right so you know we're going to put a lot of time and effort and love into those gardens and get kind of community volunteers involved bring them back to life we've even found the original blueprints of the 1930 planting design so it's can we reinstate the original design and then inside just really um 
uh, speaking to the heritage of the building, get a lot of the amazing artefacts and heritage that's currently locked away and preserved out into the hallways and on display. So there's a reason to come in. Creating community spaces. We want to have like a music listening and reading kind of library down the back. You know, think like cigar lounge, you know, wing chairs, coffee tables, lamps, you know, all that kind of space. Um, But, you know, joking aside, we'd love to do recreations of the Hinton and get them back on the hallways so that, you know, there's that connection between Niram and Nikon. Well, we are neighbours now and we do have this shared history because of that building. So I think, you know, collaborations make perfect sense and will be really exciting. And even with our neighbours in between with the Museum of Education, there's a great connection there between, you know, the Teachers College the Museum of Education, you guys, and then the Aboriginal Cultural Centre and Keeping Place down the road. So, like, this kind of... um, If you were designing hard infrastructure, you would build it like that, but it just happens that we've all landed side by side. So the potential of what we can do there is really amazing. It is very exciting. So what exciting things do you have coming up at NECOM? I know you have some awesome events. Yeah, so um, one of the first things that we're doing um, just in a couple of weeks, two weeks' time, is we've got the Australian Chamber Orchestra coming to town. I've got my tickets. (laughs) Everyone's got their tickets there. Basically sold out, except that um, with the great um, change of COVID restrictions for entertainment Mm -hmm. venues we've been able to go back to 100% capacity in our hall. So we've just literally put a couple more seats back out on sale, which is great. Um, there's two shows on the 20th of April, 5.30 and 7.30. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's listening and does want to snap up those last tickets, I'll do my plug part there and you can buy them <laughs> online. Um, but it's so great to have someone like the Australian Chamber Orchestra and it's the real ACO. Like sometimes we get the ACO light come to town, mm-hmm. but it's the real ACO with Richard Tonietti, um, you know, and we have international travel restrictions to thank for that you know groups like those are always touring internationally they're perhaps more in demand overseas than they are here in Australia so um, it's so fantastic that we can have someone like that come to Armadale so that's on the 20th of April and then only four weeks later um, we've got Opera Australia coming to town as well um, doing a concert that we're basically describing as opera without the boring bits so we're just doing like all the famous arias from operas that people would love um, without the kind of late night or hefty price tags. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of events coming up and yep. um, uh, and kind of really, uh, as I said, like making more reasons for the community to come and engage with that space. Fantastic. There is the most beautiful little baby auditorium, which, you know, in that teacher's college, um, which we plan to um, activate a lot more. In fact, I only just found out that apparently Jimmy Barnes or Cold Chisel did their first ever gig in that auditorium. Wow, so, that's exciting. Um, because there's a connection with UNE. I think the yes, drummer yes, yes. might yeah. have studied here. Yep. So um, I did get in touch with Jimmy's manager and be like, can we get you guys back? <laughs> and it wasn't a no, which is really exciting. So, Fabulous. You know, which I is mean, always. once again, you know, big musicians also going regionally at the moment because they, you know, can't yeah. do big tours. So, so maybe there's... we'll like kind of throw Cold Chisel in with a string quartet and make something kind of cool. But, you know, I like... love it. Yeah, so so what we can do up there is pretty exciting. Awesome. So everyone needs to keep their eyes out for uh, the Opera Australia coming and, you know, possibly Jimmy Barnes later down. (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Jimmy, if you're listening, we'd love you to come. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. If people want to find out more about NECOM, where do they go? NECOM.org.au.
Awesome. Uh, so that's pretty much it for What's the Art uh, this week, but some arty things coming up at Niram. There are still some tickets available for our courtyard session featuring Caitlin Harnett and the Pony Boys this Sunday. Doors open at 3.30pm. Niram Nights Nude Again is on April 16th, so we'll be drawing the figure from life while listening to live music from the Ashall Trio and sipping on champagne. Sounds like a perfect night to me. Um, and there's a bunch of school holiday programs available for your creative kids, including learning how to draw a horse and on plein air art you can find about out all about these programs on our um, and our current exhibitions at niram.com.au we're on facebook and on instagram or why not just pop into the museum for a visit make sure you pick up your april culture club calendar sponsored this month by the mini barn um, from various fun places around town and of course from niram I'm Rachel Parsons, and I'll see you soon at Niram. Um, and to end the show and to get in the mood for Sunday, let's hear a song from Caitlin Harnett and the Pony Boys, Don't Give Up On Me.